Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the StayMarriedFlorida.com podcast series. My name is Christopher Bruce. I'm a marital and family law attorney in Palm Beach County, Florida, and I have the pleasure of being joined today by Melissa Schwartz. Melissa is a marriage and family therapist in the Wellington area, and today we're going to be talking about something um, that I think is very important for uh, the people it applies to, and that is how to fix and uh, potentially, in some cases, move on from uh, what might be considered an abusive relationship. Uh, So, Melissa, thank you for joining us uh, for this, and uh, maybe if you can briefly describe yourself and uh, your practice, and then we'll get into everything. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, discuss things that I see pretty commonly in my practice. Um, my name is Melissa Schwartz, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker and a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I started this Center for Individual and Relational Development with my husband, Dr. David Hefty, who is also a marriage and family therapist. We work with children, adolescents, adults, age six and up. And we do individual couple and family therapy with the goal to help people be healthy and happy. That's, I'd say, a, a pretty good description of your practice, having known you um, now over the years. And I, I guess to get into this, Melissa, um, I think a question a lot of people wonder about um, is, and I, I do as well sometimes, is is it possible to fix or improve a relationship when one person in the relationship is physically or emotionally abusive to their partner. I sometimes think maybe wrongly that sometimes those relationships are beyond saving, but um, I have a feeling you might have more uh, educated thoughts on that, given what you do. Well, obviously these types of relationships are very complicated for many different reasons, and they're all all different types of abuse, mental, verbal, sexual, physical. Um, And while it is possible for perpetrators of abuse to change, they need to be willing to change and understand it's often a lengthy therapeutic process and it takes a lot of work. However, all not, you know, a lot of abusers don't change because they don't want to give up power and control in the relationship or they don't want to restructure the relationship in a way where both people feel respected and heard. That makes sense. Now, if somebody on this is listening and in an abusive relationship or um, close with somebody who is, um, maybe you could help address uh, this question. Um, At what point should the person who is being abused, either physically or emotionally, start thinking about continuing in their mind to try to fix the relationship or put up with the abuse versus possibly ending the relationship? Is there a point when somebody should you know, start to make a distinction on that issue? 
Well, absolutely. I'm going to discuss a little bit about emotional or verbal abuse, and then I will answer your question specifically about when it's time to consider leaving the relationship. Yeah. But, you know, basically emotional and verbal abuse come in many different forms. Um, most people recognize this as name-calling or humiliating somebody, putting them down, screaming or cussing. Um, those are some of the classic abuse symptoms. However, other emotional abuse red flags are making you feel like you need to apologize, twisting things around to make you feel like it's all your fault, blaming you for how they feel, putting children in the middle or diminishing your relationship or power in the relationship with the kids, such as you don't have to listen to your mom. Um, using threats, such as you will lose custody of the children or intimidation. An example, if I see you with another guy, will hurt you both, often keeps you know, people stuck in these relationships, afraid, or yeah. they feel so diminished um, that they have no self-worth, um, and then they often will stay, or blame themselves for causing the other person to react in this abusive manner. So, as you can see, it's a very, very complicated situation. Um, this type of abuse can only be changed by both parties getting therapeutic help so the victim can find their voice and set healthy boundaries and the perpetrator of the abuse can learn to be accountable for their behavior, learn how to manage their feelings, and behavior in a healthy manner, and help both recognize that abuse is about having power and control over another human being by crushing their self-worth at the expense of having control in the relationship. I think it's time to consider leaving the relationship when you ask the person to get help and they refuse. Yeah. You You know, you feel scared for the safety of yourself or your children. Uh, the relationship with your children is changing in a negative manner because they see you being belittled or abused in the relationship, or when you have tried taking steps to establish healthy boundaries and communication in your relationship and the behavior continues to get worse. I, I guess the next question is something that I believe you and I have talked about when we've had a, a chance to catch up over the years, but I think I was telling you last time uh, we saw each other that sometimes the hardest cases for me to handle are when I'm representing somebody in a divorce. It it usually happens to be the female partner, not always, but it's typically the female partner for me. And they've made the decision to to leave an abusive relationship. And internally, I, I get the feeling that they're having a very hard time doing so just based on what they've been through and I I always try to get these clients to go see somebody like you to um, to get help but um, for the people that are are listening to this I'm sure they'd be interested to know just from your perspective for that spouse or partner that's determined they're in an abusive relationship and it's time uh, to end it what what is in your view, the best way for these people to internally approach um, moving on and and ending the relationship that they have, whether it's marriage, a long-term partner, or otherwise? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you have to ask yourself, and I think there is a long process to being prepared for this. The legal process is one process, but obviously there's many steps that people can take beforehand to start, you know, making some decisions that are going to help them during the divorce process and after. Um, I think that most people 
consider leaving a relationship anywhere between one to five years, which I know is a long span, sometimes longer. So yeah. Once somebody sort of decides it's time to leave, um, I think there's some good questions that they need to consider and to ask themselves. And I'm going to go over some of those questions that I think in my practice, um, things that I've asked my clients to think about. Um, you know, the first one being obviously, do they have a good support system? Um, oftentimes, people who are in abusive relationships are isolated from friends or family. They are, you know, um, they remove themselves from people because of either jealousy with the other partner or spouse, um, or they don't want to uh, get into fights with their spouse, so they tend to, you know, hide what's going on in the relationship, visit with them less and less. So oftentimes, I'm, when I meet with people who have been in abusive relationships, they're very isolated and alone. So the first thing is, you know, you need to start building um, a, a good relationship with uh, your friends and family. Um, you need to start letting them know what's been going on in your relationship, which has often been secrets for years and years and years because the person is either protecting the abuser or because of their own shame. Um, they can get involved in, you know, build attachments within the church, temple, or religious institute. And sometimes I'll tell people you don't have to be religious per se. It's just a big support network to initially meet people. And oftentimes they have divorce support groups or they have ways to build uh, the person or make them feel connected. Um, or they just need to get involved in an activity that can empower them uh, to help them and help them make friends. So that's Definitely one thing. I, I tell people, particularly if they're being abused or bullied, you need people to call. You need people who can be there for you. You need people you can trust. So that's that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is you obviously need to have some means to support yourself. And this is oftentimes a very difficult thing where a lot of women feel stuck, that they maybe haven't been the primary provider or they're not working, taking care of the children, you know, whatever that might be. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes, you know, if you can think about a long-term picture, taking some classes before you decide to implement going, you know, through the divorce, um, starting to save money in, you know, small, unnoticeable ways where the person isn't maybe triggered by, you know, taking a large sum of money out, asking friends and family for help, um, or getting a job that you could so you can have some financial independence. Independence is very helpful, and it also empowers the person to feel that they can be on their own. Um, I definitely always, always tell people, consult with a lawyer you can trust, because many times the women that I work with have been told a lot of things by their spouse. Um, you're never going to see the kids. Um, you, you know, you're not going to get a dime. Um, I'm taking everything. Um, there's a lot of threats and intimidation and bullying. So I always say to them, you need to find out the facts and you need to find a good lawyer who's going to tell you the law and give you sort of the ability to make informed education decisions. And, you know, the best way to do that is obviously to go through somebody they trust and try to get a referral to yeah. somebody and that they, you know, feel they can talk to. The last thing is if there's been physical abuse or you fear physical abuse once you leave, you need a safety plan as women who leave abusive relationships are definitely an increased risk of being hurt or killed by the perpetrator. Um, you need to make sure you have money, passports, licenses, birth certificates of the children, extra set of car keys, house keys, and a safe place to stay. And these are things that people don't always think about 
but it's very important to have these things in case um, they need to prove to law enforcement or otherwise that they are the biological parent. Um, and sometimes the restraining order is necessary, so this is not a guarantee of safety. Um, and I always say talk to a therapist to make sure a good safety plan is invoked and always tell your lawyer if you feel you or your children feel unsafe or fear for your safety because oftentimes I will ask them, did you talk to your lawyer or attorney about this? And they, due to their shame or because they don't want to be judged, they will not tell their lawyer or their family or their friends what's been going on. But this is an incredibly important thing to communicate about. Well, I'll say just to that that last point, um, that's, I can't stress the importance of that. And I found just in, in my practice, uh, sometimes an abuse has been going on and people were too afraid to speak up. And what you have to realize is, is if you're in this type of a, a situation, uh, the people you're working with, uh, you need to be trusting and they're there only to help you and you need to tell them these things mm-hmm. because it can make a difference in what the therapist and uh, definitely what the lawyer uh, does and, and coming up with a plan for you to get this over with sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Now, when people come to ending one of these abusive relationships, at least sometimes I see in what I do, there's threats that keep going on after, you know, like I'm handle the divorces, uh, the the threats will keep coming after the divorce. And I tell people, hey, you just have to not listen to this stuff, which I think is a lot easier said than done for people who have been in one of these relationships. Mm -hmm. From your perspective, is is there a a best way, uh, whether it's just a a technique or a plan over time uh, that builds up to where these people can avoid being intimidated by their partner at at the end of the relationship, especially in a situation such as uh, a divorce or where there's uh, children and the end of the relationship is more than just uh, walking away uh, with, you know, your possessions. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to talk about, because this is, again, a very common thing for people to feel very intimidated and threatened and, and incredibly anxious during this process. And I and I tell them that feeling intimidated and anxious is a normal reaction to years of being abused, bullied, or threatened. Um, it's their body's natural way of trying to protect us against threat, and I need them to hear that and listen to what their bodies are telling them. Um, I will talk to my clients about good self-care, and finding ways to sort of de-escalate their fears and negative emotions um, and learning how to sort of balance that intimidation and fear with being proactive and doing good things for themselves and trying to regain a sense of control in their life because you can't control what other people do to you. You can't control how you react and how you take care of yourself. So there is, you know, an ongoing ability to empower yourself, you know, decrease some of those emotions such as, you know, I'll say people need to work out, which builds self-worth and self-esteem and also produces good endorphins for them to release a lot of their anxiety. Um, I ask them to journal the good steps that they're taking to help themselves for their family or like milestones that they're making 
for instance, some people might say they didn't go out a lot socially because they were afraid the person would scream or yell or embarrass them or they weren't allowed to go out and do things very often. So being able to take steps to do things that were different than what they were doing before and acknowledge that and write those things down. Um, I keep talking about it and reemphasizing the idea of meeting up with friends and family and really being honest about what took place in the marriage so they can start getting validated for the pain and fear they've been in and they no longer hold on to the dark secrets in order to protect the abuser because a lot of times people will say to me, I don't know if my if I'm feeling intimidated, is this real? Should I feel this way? Should I not feel this way? And I think that we all need checks and balances and people we can say, they go, yeah, I would feel scared too. Or um, I just think he's being a jerk. You know, I think sometimes we need some, you know, a wall to, you know, uh, pounce some ideas and thoughts off of. Um, I also think that other ways to deal with your intimidation is I always advise my clients, you need to tell just your neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family that you can trust about what your fears are as a means of an extra set of eyes to look after you and your family. Um, Sometimes people that are in these abusive relationships, they'll move out and the person will drive by their house a lot or sit outside their house and stare at them as a a means of being intimidated, um, do things to make the other person feel uneasy. And if there's a neighbor or somebody in the neighborhood that might recognize that person's car, they may call the police or do things to, so there's like a, a good checks and balances. Um, and the last thing is I, I tell people you need to learn to establish healthy boundaries with your ex. Oftentimes, like people have been bullied by somebody, they don't speak up, they don't establish good boundaries. Like for instance, I'll say to people, if your spouse needs to pick the kids up, you don't let them just have a key and walk into the house. They need to meet you at the door or Oftentimes, they will react to um, via, you know, texts or emails to accusations and defend themselves or, you know, uh, justify why they were doing something. And that only gives the, the person more power to intimidate because they know they're getting to them. So I'll let them know that the only time you react is if it's something factual, like what time are you picking up the kids? Other than that, they really need to learn to not feed into the emotion that's going to cause the other person to continue to bully them. That makes sense. And uh, there was a book I read on it, and I loaned it out to a client, and the person never brought it back, so now I've forgotten the title. But it talked about a um, negative feedback loop, and basically each time you re-engage, you're going to go around the wheel one more time. And (coughs) it's obviously easier said than done when you inject children into the situation and there has to be some contact. But I think what, what you just said is something a lot of people ought to, ought to take to heart and listen to. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's a, it's, you know, it's an honor to be able to work with, you know, and, and, and men can be abused as well. So when I use these, you know, examples of women being used, I definitely want to say that men can be abused as well. But abuse is abuse, and it's a very scary thing to go through. And divorce within itself is already a very intimidating, overwhelming process. And the truth is is that people can be hurt or killed in these situations, and you can't take this lightly either. They really do need to talk to a professional or make sure that 
people around them know what's going on. And I think that's really, really important um, because typically they have been in silence for a very, very long time. Well, I guess on a a brighter note, uh, for the people that get through the end of the relationship, and I guess this isn't what I'm going to ask you about, really isn't something that only begins uh, after the relationship is over, but for those people listening that have been in you know, one of these relationships where they've been held down over time, and like you were saying, it's not just women. I've seen it plenty of times the other way with, with men. Um, at least what, what I see is I, I keep in touch with my clients over time, and sometimes it's challenging to move on after the relationship and, and try to have a happy life, and especially when the person has been limited in, in their social connections during the relationship. I see a lot of people, they end, you know, a 20, 30-year marriage, and they, they really don't have many people that they can call friends, and sometimes at their age, uh, their uh, family, besides brothers and sisters, um, have, you know, passed away. They don't have their parents anymore, so it's sometimes hard to get people motivated to understand that there is a life after a divorce or the end of a long-term relationship, and it can be a really good one. And I know this is something you do in your practice uh, with uh, your clients uh, at this stage, but what are some of the things uh, you tell clients when it comes to developing the right mindset for moving on uh, to have the life that uh, they uh, deserve to have after being in an abusive or just undesirable relationship? What are the types of things you're telling people? Well, I always tell people that, you know, people deserve to feel safe, love, and respected, that those are the core values and the foundation of all relationships. And if they can't exist in a marriage, then it's something you're taking the right steps to finally feel free and to live life in a way that, you know, you were meant to live. And I let people know that it's a grief process, that, you know, even if somebody has done really ugly, abusive, hurtful things, that doesn't mean that they didn't love the person or there weren't good times. Because I think oftentimes when people do talk to friends and family, they're like, you know, leave the jerk or, you know, good riddance. Um, And the person, you know, wants to sort of explain that there were good times and, you know, um, there's things that they are losing and people tend to forget that even though it was a really bad relationship, there were things that need to be validated um, about that relationship. So working through that grief is important. Um, I think it's important that women uh, try to understand what kept them in the relationship, not as a way of blaming themselves, but as a way of starting to build their life. For instance, you mentioned you know, lack of support system. And if that's one thing, like, I don't have anybody or this is the only person who cares about me, then you need to start establishing some goals for being able to find people in your life and that could care about you or could be a part of your life. And oftentimes people don't want to take those steps because they're scared. But I just want to know that, you know, you're not going to feel comfortable taking these steps because they're, they're new to you. And change is never comfortable. It's something that you know, only in time you will get the reward from after you sort of take those steps. Um, If it's 
you know, finding people in your life who will validate you. Like, for instance, people tend, because they've been in a critical, judgmental relationship for a long time, um, they tend to put themselves down a lot. And so even things like cooking a meal or going to the, you know, taking a walk around the block will tend to belittle themselves. Like, I know it's not a big deal or, you know, um, I know other people do more. And finding people like therapists and, you know, people in their life who can help build them up is a very important step to moving forward. Um, And I think a lot of people, you know, use their religion and their faith as a way of doing that. Um, I also think that it's just validating the idea that you're making the right decision. And one of the biggest obstacles I have for women is they'll say their fear that tearing apart the family or ending the marriage is going to hurt the children. And I let them know that that is absolutely not the case, that children also deserve to feel safe and they deserve to be in an environment that is non-threatening and that children can thrive by being outside these relationships. Staying together is not the only way that children are going to be okay. So I think there's a lot of different steps, from empowerment to going through grief to taking, and I'll say to people, don't look ahead one day at a time. You know, oftentimes they get too scared because they're looking too far ahead and, well, what's going to happen here and what if this happens? And I'll say, just stay in today. What can you control today? (laughs) So it's a lot of anxiety work. (laughs) It's a lot of that kind of stuff. I really appreciate your input on this stuff, Melissa. It's, you know, I, I think we both know with what we do a very serious and challenging situation for people to go through and come out of. But, you know, if the person takes the time and is, is dedicated, at least in my experience, um, it does work. They can have a much better life. I'm not trying to say people should you know, instantly look look to divorce as the magic solution to everything, but if they're in a relationship where it's just not healthy and they're miserable, it it can be better. They don't have to be like that and it's just it's a hard thing to go through and I, I think this will be very helpful for those people. Now for the people listening absolutely please. So one comment to that is people are always afraid that they're going to regret their decision. And I will tell you, I've been a therapist for over 20 years, and I don't have people regretting their decision. Once they leave these relationships and they do their healing work, and it takes time and it really can be a process, people will tell me I never felt freer. I know it was the right decision. I finally feel safe. Um, I've met other people who care about me. And so I want people to know that not only can they have a better life, but I only see that happen. It's, it, it can happen. It's good to know that there there is a bright path ahead. And for everybody that's been listening to this, I'm with uh, Melissa Schwartz. She's a marriage and family therapist in Wellington. And before we close off, Melissa, um, if you can, maybe – tell the people listening a little bit more about your practice and if they are in the the South Florida area, how they might go about getting in touch with you or uh, your husband if uh, they think they might want to get your advice and guidance in 
uh, one of the situations that uh, you work on in your practice? Absolutely. I mean, if, if I or anybody in my practice can be a resource for you, your clients, or anyone in the community, um, I can be reached at the Center for Individual and Relational Development. Um, my phone number is 561-791-7741. And um, please feel free to give us a call or to ask us any questions you may have. We do work with a variety of different issues, um, emotional, verbal abuse, uh, marriage counseling, working with children, and on and on. So it's really been an honor and a privilege to be able to take the time to talk with you, Chris, and I appreciate you caring so much about your clients and the community that you offer this service so people can get these resources. Um, it's a real testament to how you care about people. Well, I appreciate that, and I do, and I hope that this is helpful for the people who need it. I know that's not everybody that's going to, you know, really need to listen to what we're talking about, but for those that do, it's going to be very helpful. So thank you for joining me for this, uh, Melissa. You're welcome. For more information about staymarriedflorida.com, uh, go right to the website, www.staymarriedflorida.com. To reach divorce and family law attorney Christopher Bruce, call 561-844-1200 or email him at cbruce at nugentlawfirm.com.